Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello, welcome to today's COVID and Markets Daily Missive brought to you by Dividend Cafe here at the Bonson Group. This is David Bonson, Chief Investment Officer, and I'll start off by saying a happy flash crash anniversary, uh, which many of you may not know what I'm talking about and many of you may remember it very well. Uh, May 6, 2010, 10 years ago today, um, uh, major technical breakdown of markets, trading, thrown into disarray. Uh, market intraday dropped about 1,000 points. And back then, that was when the denominator, you know, it was a very different priced market. And so ended up recovering at the end of the day, you know, maybe 400 points or something of its uh, downside. But ETFs broken, uh, bid-ass spreads broken, just wild day coming down to various technical factors and and uh, computerized errors and malfunctions and things. And so uh, something I remember quite well, but uh, here we are 10 years later, and I, I guess that you know the particular events of the flash crash day uh, have not repeated themselves and and are likely somewhat improved, uh, the capability of those things happening, but the the various technical risks that exist out there such as like what we saw in the in the oil market and ETFs here a couple of weeks ago and that being sort of just a symptom of other potential malfunctions where you have daily liquid products that are backed by uh very 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 not liquid products and in a sense i suppose that's uh, the closest thing to a flash crash vulnerability that I think still persists out there. But I plan to give that issue a lot more attention in a post-COVID world. Uh, in the meantime, back to the COVID world. Uh, those that read covidmarkets.com, you're going to see that I intend to start driving each day around a more consistent format. I've loosely been doing this anyways, but I'm just trying to button up the delivery, make it more readable and digestible for people, and just kind of walk through each day the health data, the market technicals, public policy, oil and energy, housing, and then Fed news. And of course, there could be some miscellaneous nuggets that come up as well, but I'm going to sort of use that general outline day by day. And I'll start right now today on the health front. Uh, the percentage rate of case growth continues to decline rather impressively here in the United States, and, and I think it's very important. Um, I, I would say that it, the, the case growth decline doesn't seem to match some of the alarmism that you might be hearing still in the media in the last few days. But, um, you know, I, I'm not going to cry over that. I, I, it is what it is. I, I think that there's certainly some data that, you know, we're waiting on or it's acquiring patients or it's not <clears throat> necessarily going exactly in the direction that, that many of us would want it to. Um, by us, I'm referring to those who are, who are rooting against COVID and for life and freedom. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that makes up a, a good majority of people. And I would I would say that most of the data is positive and not all of it is. And and the testing data is the one that's sort of a mixed bag because it's increasing rapidly, 28% week over week as far as number of tests that we're consistently doing here in the United States on a daily, deba a daily basis. Uh, but again, I keep reading these projections that we need to get up to about 500,000 a day and we're sitting there somewhere around 250,000 a day soaking wet. And yet I'm also hearing that we're going to get to 500,000 in a few weeks. So I don't know 
why 500,000 is the daily need, although I don't have any reason at all to dispute it, but that's that's where things stand. Um, in terms of today's testing, uh, as of press time, we were at a little over 215,000 in the daily Johns Hopkins tracking. Uh, the positivity ratio is slipping right around 10%. It has gotten even lower. So we've seen that positive ratio of total tests cut in half in the last couple of weeks from where we were averaging 18 to 22% a day. We're now averaging 9 to 11% a day. Um, I am trying to find as much data as I can where countries and even states now here in, here in America have reopened their economies to some degree or at least instituted some partial easing of their restrictions because I do think it's important to be able to evaluate what impact their reopening has had to their health data. Um, for example, and there's a chart to this effect in COVID and markets today, thousands of shops were reopened in Austria on April 14th. That's over three weeks ago now. And the health data there has been unbelievably encouraging. They're literally at a 0.2% increase in new cases. Um, now, hairdressers and certain service providers just opened less than a week ago, and restaurants and bars and hotels still aren't open. That, that'll be next week. But, I mean, thousands of regular kind of retail-type stores, they had their sort of phase one, phase two sort of reopening, and, and their numbers looking very, very positive, and death count declining but really very close to zero now. Um the other thing I would share is just to continue with the news of the vaccine efforts. We've talked about some of the different, more prominent efforts that exist in various levels of funding, various levels of development, various levels of sponsor, uh, academic institutions and corporate sponsors and, and governmental connectivities to some of these endeavors. Um, foundation support uh, sometimes is behind multiple vaccine efforts at once. Uh, but the um, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, joint effort has begun human trials here in the United States with a goal of having a vaccine available for emergency use in less than four months, basically by the end of the summer, depending on how these human trials go. So we're, we're monitoring all that as closely as we can. Moving to market technicals, it's the 210 spread that I think is very important right now. And of course, I refer to the spread between the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury. Um, that's on the verge of becoming a bullish technical indicator. A uh, steeper yield curve uh, would be considered more indicative of risk on, and a flatter yield curve uh, would be more indicative of risk off, and that 210 had flattened a bit, even as the stock market had improved over the last five weeks. So it was kind of stubbornly avoiding becoming a bullish indicator. And yet, in the last couple of days, that spread has that, that you see that curve steepening, um, it's not there full, you know, yet all the way, but it's something that looks to us to be potentially indicating some short-term bullish signs. Um, speaking of short-term, 51 days in a row now, and I'm, it'll be 52 uh, with, with today's closure, even though I haven't calculated it yet, that the S&P has moved 1% or more from its high point to low point or vice versa. So kind of intraday volatility being above 1%. So 52 days in a row, that's absolutely extraordinary. It's the most since 2011, but still a long way to go to get to that financial crisis level where it happened 124 days in a row. Um, it refer the, Now, this is only a reference, by the way, to the quantity of days that are in that ultra-high intraday volatility. 
the magnitude of the high-low range, I can assure you, at uh, particularly at certain points in March, was like nothing I'd ever seen. From a policy perspective, there appears to be a growing divide within the GOP leadership of the Senate and rank and file, for that matter, as to whether or not the payroll tax suspension is actually a line in the sand or not. The payroll tax cuts widely favored by supply siders such as Larry Kudlow in the administration, and POTUS has declared emphatic support for it publicly. But critics are fond of lines like, well, there's no payroll tax to cut if people are not on the payrolls. But the counter-argument, of course, is that by reducing the cost of having employees, you incentivize more hiring and higher wages. My read on it is that some senators may very well be gearing up to sacrifice the payroll tax cut for the liability protection that they see as the top priority. I am not so sure the White House views it quite so expendably. On the PPP front, Paycheck Protection Program, I've talked to enough congressmen and policymakers in the last few days to offer a few conjectures as to pending clarifications in the PPP facility. One is I do believe they're headed towards lengthening the time that companies can spend the money they receive. It's currently just eight weeks. Uh, so they can spend that money within eight weeks and still be eligible for loan forgiveness as long as they meet the other criteria. A lot of pushback saying that that isn't enough time given a number of you know economic uncertainties. And I, from what I'm hearing, that is likely to be adjusted. Uh, the other big move that's being pursued, I've talked about in the last couple of days, is allowing for an adjustment of the 75% threshold of minimum that needs to of PPP funds that needs to be spent on payroll um, in order to you know obtain uh, forgiveness of the loan. And I believe that there will end up being an adjustment, just not as favorable as some groups have sought. Uh, I have spoken to two congressmen that said they want to adjust the criteria for loan forgiveness to be more favorable only where companies can demonstrate certain business hardship post-COVID. So you'll recall the whole point of PPP was that no one had to demonstrate anything. They were trying to get funds out very quickly and get funds recirculating in the economy real quickly. Other than prior payroll cost as a criteria for determining the loan amount, that had to be substantiated. Nothing else really did. So I can see them going in this direction where they say, okay, we're going to lighten the criteria, lighten the, the eligibility issues for forgiveness in a couple of categories, but we're going to intensify the criteria to have obtained the loan to begin with. Um, it, it's hard to predict exactly where it's going, but I think some significant clarifications coming from SBA and uh, DOT in the weeks ahead, if not sooner. Moving on real quick to oil and energy. Oil was down just a tad today, but a pretty stable day overall. Um, it's going to be very noteworthy if the June contract expiration later this month comes and goes without the same technical and storage breakdowns that we saw a few weeks ago. I suspect it will because I think there's two things that are very different. One is that OPEC Plus is not doing a last-minute binge of production flooding extra supply before that production cut deal that went into effect. And number two is I think the ETF world, um, which makes up a just insane amount of the NYMEX futures contracts, has already moved their forward contracts out well in advance of the June expiration. And, and so it takes away some of that risk of technical breakdown that we were seeing at the end of May. But both the June contract uh, has moved meaningfully above its June 
uh, level of support and, and the July contract has done the same. So from a technical standpoint on the chart, both seem to have a good support put in and we'll see how that holds up uh, in WTI crude oil. The other thing I might point out, by the way, is spreads have really kind of hung in there. They they tightened a bit in the high-yield energy space. Obviously, they got to be very, very wide uh, at the peak of market panic in March, and then they've come in a bit. But then even as the markets moved up and down and as oil prices have had their volatility, those high-yield spreads that had prior uh, had previously narrowed in energy, they've stayed in that range. Now, keep in mind, they're still far wider than any other sector in high-yield. But my point is that kind of 700 basis points that they came in has stayed in, um, and, and that is pretty bullish. Uh, some have stated, well, yeah, but the Fed was coming and supporting those markets. But I do want to remind people there are not very many energy credits that were a triple B that then got downgraded as fallen angels to double B. Most of the energy credits were far more downstream in their credit strength from there. And so therefore have not fallen in to this feds, uh, the feds recent stated support for high yield and corporate bonds. To keep up with housing, uh, I'm utterly perplexed by the pickup in new purchase mortgage applications the last two weeks. Up 2% uh, last week, uh, or excuse me, mid-April, up 12% almost last week. That means the net decline since March is only about 25% total for those looking for a mortgage for a new property. Now, a 25% decline is massive. But it's nowhere near what I guess my natural intuition would have guessed and perhaps yours as well. Um, And we are just now getting ready for parts of the economy to reopen. Auto sales, clothing, apparel, they were each down over 50%. So I kind of suspect that the best conclusion here is that where this economic pain is going to be most concentrated – is in a sector of the economy, a demographic of the economy that really did not necessarily represent people who are likely to buy a home anyways. And that is younger people, lower income, uh, just primarily as a group, not about to purchase new homes. So I expect new home sales will be down a lot for the next couple of months, but it may very well be that this is an economic data point where the damage will end up being less severe than feared. In Fed news, they did... Um, clarify that eligibility for the Main Street lending facility and those leverage ratios will be based on adjusted EBITDA as opposed to standard EBITDA. Um, the, the distinction being that adjusted EBITDA allows you to add back various accounting adjustments. So it's a little bit you know, less stringent of a test. And I, I'm not here to really comment on whether or not I think that's a good or a bad thing. Ultimately, the banks are keeping 5 to 10% of the risk of the loan on their books. And so the banks have all the incentive to make sure that the loan is credit good. But I think you have to take that as a sign that what the Fed's signifying is a high appetite to help uh, feed small and middle market businesses uh, where they're where they're willing to you know push the risk curve in terms of underwriting standards. So uh, the market down about 200 points today. It was kind of flattish most of the day, and then the final half hour, third day in a row, uh, where you had a big move, um, and the market today went down a couple hundred points near the end of the day. 
Uh, like I said, oil uh, didn't move much. Big tech actually caught a bid today. It was up quite nicely. Uh, kind of an odd day with market sentiment, market direction. That's all I have for today's COVID and markets. Uh, I'll be back at you again Thursday. Please uh, reach out with any feedback and any questions. Thank you for listening to COVID and markets here on our Dividend Cafe podcast. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.